Welcome to Tales from the Rec Room, where I've lived long enough to see myself become a villain. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, and I'm very good at calculations. And who is with me on the line today? Uh, Chris Cabin from the We Hate Movies podcast. Yes, welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, I think I have officially collected all four uh, collectible We Hate movie cards. Uh, oh, nice. This and, and plus, a uh, special limited edition card of Justin J. Case on our M. Night Shyamalan episode. But uh, this is your first time being on this show or the former Peak show. You are best known as not only a host of We Hate Movies, but as a film critic. So can you tell us a little bit about where we can find your writing, but also about We Hate Movies? Uh, we Hate Movies is a weekly, uh, quote unquote, bad movie podcast. We're just a movie podcast, is right. But we've been trying to rebrand for a while, because uh, you know it's about talking about movies, but mostly using that as a platform to joke around, uh, discuss a movie, what works, what doesn't. Uh, we've been doing it for a very long time since about 2010. We have a Patreon that we try to do. We do a Star Wars show there. We do a Star Trek show there. We do a show just about movies we love there. Um, and yeah, it's been the thing I've been working on most for uh, the last 15 years of my life, essentially. Um, and uh, I I have been writing for about film for a long time. I used to be at Slant Magazine. That's uh, when I was uh, really ripping it. Uh, then I went to Collider, where I became more of a news guy, but I, I still review occasionally. I'm considering getting back into it, but I needed a break after, I, I don't know, and nobody, you know, talks about like, well, I'm sure a lot of people talk about it, uh, the the grind of doing this kind of work, mm-hmm. and like, it, it just, it does sputter you out after like two years of doing it straight on for nonstop, it just kind of bled me out on like whether or not I could review sensibly anymore, I needed a break, uh, so I've been breaking for a while, but I might get back, back into yeah. it, who knows. My my earliest journalism days, like my internship days, because I've mostly been a news and business girl, but I was, um, and I never talk about this, but I was doing a very short-lived, like definitely underground now music magazine. And mm. uh, music is a huge passion of mine. Guess what? Reviewing music and reviewing shows fucked up for me is yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, it, it was a time, but uh, yeah, so I, I normally, we have a tradition of plugs up front, but it's become incredibly complicated over the last couple of weeks because like, what the fuck is going on with Twitter slash X? Are people even on it? Like, I log on it once a week to promote the show, but uh, yeah. in general, where can we find you on, on the socials? Uh, on socials, uh, I'm off Facebook, thank God. Uh, I'm on Instagram, although I, I'll be honest, I think my handle is just Crabbin on there. Uh, my it's last name like kind of everywhere right yeah with yeah. twitter and instagram which are the two that i still have and mm-hmm. more or less maintain they're I, both crab and i believe yeah. uh I, I am on x i guess what we now have to call x um uh, <laughs> the uh the uh the 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 musk platform x um that and uh instagram are it and i every day i can i am also on blue sky but i don't know what to do on there yet i don't know if you've other than promotional stuff, I don't know if you've figured it out yet. I mean, I, I've kind of been using it, but it's weird because like, I had a pretty decent following for someone who is essentially just a person um, on Twitter. And now I have like 40 some followers and um, largely my hockey folks, because that's mostly who I interact with online is hockey fans. They're not on there yet. I also made the mistake of following the Possum Every Hour account, but because I don't follow that many other people, my feed is literally 90, 90% Possums. Um, yeah. It's good, though. It is 
The lack of actually enjoying Blue Sky has gotten me to stop so much with the dopamine slot machine. Yeah. It, really, I, I've never been healthier. I, I, I wonder if that's the secret plan here, because I'm, I'm, I am suspicious that anything is ever going to be able to do what the Twitter thing does or did at its height. Uh, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. But Blue Sky might actually, the good thing of it is might be like, it might be like the come down drug, you know? It might be the thing that like, you need a step before you just cold off, cut off cold turkey. Like, you can't do that. So you need something like this that you're still on technically, but you like, don't really think about, you don't really like, have any real intense interactions on there other than like, passive fandom stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it, it might actually be for the best. It's it's the method one clinic. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know what? We haven't actually mentioned what the fuck we're talking about. That's on <laughs> me. Um, uh, no. Um, and normally it's pretty obvious when I do my little introductions, but I think I might have gone a bit too, you know, I'm very good at calculations. I think that's a line that only I enjoy a lot. We're talking about The Dark Knight today. And we're doing it because Christopher Nolan, uh, you know, it is once again the summer of Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's the summer of Barbenheimer. Uh, I'm sure oh, I did miss your guys' uh, uh, Monday live episode, but obviously you saw Oppenheimer. Um, oh, yeah. How'd you like it? I I've seen it twice now. I really love it, and I I come from uh, uh, that comes from a place where I was kind of against him up until I don't know. It might have been like Tenet really might have been the game changer for me, where I like all of a sudden turned on to what he was doing, and uh, I I really like all of his movies, but I never got the love thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one I love. I, I think this and Tenet are the two that I actually love. Uh, I really do think it does uh, lampoon him for like the first hour and 15 minutes at least and like makes him look like a complete ass asshole fool. Um, and that's, I mean, and, and does so and not like a completely like Adam McKay way where you're beating <laughs> yourself over the head with it. Like it's where it's, relatively like uh, uh, the Clint Eastwood Oliver Stone way of like being like let all of it in and that makes everybody kind of look terrible in a way yeah I uh, would never call Christopher Nolan subtle in no. any way um, so I don't want to act like it's subtle, but there is something about it that is, um, maybe, I don't know, a little more lived in or a little more felt out. It's, it's a more mature yes. approach to filmmaking. I too, I've never been this big, like Christopher Nolan as an auteur kind of person. Um, I, like I said, I have the film tastes of a 19 year old male film major, um, which is to say like, I, I've always liked Nolan's movies, but I always said oh yeah there are people who do it better than him and even like individually i like his movies like i i like interstellar i don't know anyone who dislikes interstellar but it's like i don't know what that movie was going for but it leaves aside from memento and in my opinion like dark knight and now oppenheimer there's not a lot actually tenet as well but there's not a lot that leaves impact on me i love the prestige but i never walk away from the prestige going like what a movie god just stays with me I, I think a lot of it has been, for me at least, going back to it now, I can see a lot of what I love about Tenet and Oppenheimer uh, actually done without impact in the other things. And the thing that's changed is that he is he has been changing up his creative team pretty regularly recently. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema was the first one where like it really switched him on, I think. Mm -hmm. Hoyt Van Hoytema, of course, uh, of the one of the best-looking movies ever made, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. It's just uh, immaculate looking film. And I think uh, Nolan picked him up from that. Uh, and he did Interstellar, which I think is perfect if you end right after the Matt Damon stuff. Yes. Uh, 
then I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is like a new thing. I, I have softened a bit. I, I don't mind the other stuff now. Mm-hmm. But like that, up until the Matt Damon stuff, I was like, this is the best thing he's ever done. I, I was really sold on it for a bit there. I that movie also holds a special place in my heart because I watched it on my first date with Jared. Um, okay. But I haven't that's watched good. it since because why would you watch that movie in a living room? Yeah, I, I that's <laughs> what I I mean. What you're forced to do, I get. Like uh, the theater back in my home, uh, Albany, New York, they did when Oppenheimer came out. They just locally were like, we're just going to show all the movies on the big screen. Um, they're going to be like, I think they're probably they were probably digital, but like. We're just going to do it because people like watching these movies on the big screen. That's what they like. Uh, and I think that's what they ended up doing. Yeah. So now uh, kind of the primer questions. And I know you kind of have the reputation, I think, on We Hate Movies as the guy who has seen every fucking movie. Um, so uh, so this is I think a lot of these are kind of very obvious questions. But sure. when this movie came out, did you see it within the first year that like were you a kind of first night in the theater person or did you wait on this I- one? I saw this with uh, my showmates, uh, uh, Stephen uh, Sadak, uh, Andrew Droop, and I'm not sure if Eric was there at the time. Our friend Josh was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just a normal packed house opening week. I think it was uh, the Saturday. It might not have been the Friday. Um, but uh, I remember being at a packed house. The air conditioner was not working. Um, but like it was breathless in that theater like literally yeah. breathless you yeah. everybody was just gasping the whole time mm-hmm. i think for me like what definitely drove me to see this because like i was kind of neutral on superhero movies like i really really love the first two Raimi spider-mans i think anyone with a pulse does oh, yeah. um i did hadn't seen the hype about iron man until you know what it came out on dvd and watched it with my brother or whatever but it was it was the heath ledger factor that drove me to the theaters Whoa. heath ledger i mean listen to the first episode of this series i talk it's about 10 things i hate about you um i talk about heath ledger was my first big male celebrity crush uh and you know he and i am now significantly older than heath ledger was when he died and so that is an extra kind of sad thing to me um yeah but um I was looking up because I thought this was a June release, right? Because I remembered seeing it in the theater in my hometown of North Bay, Ontario. It was released in mid-July, which means Mm. that um, my family had already moved to Oshawa then. So I drove all the way back, I guess, like four (laughs) hours to hang out with my friends and go watch this movie. But similar to you, it was... It was the event movie that weekend. I didn't look up what else, what it opened against, but surely, I mean, it, it opened top of the box office, so surely nothing that important. No, I mean, I think it ate everything alive, and I think the the pull for me was, like, I, I we, I mean, we're probably going to talk about this more, but, like, we weren't yet in a moment where, like, there's inevitably going to be another superhero movie. Like, yeah. we weren't quite there yet. We were coming close to understanding that, but it wasn't, and, like, I I thought Batman Begins is pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. uh, so I was like, uh, let's see. Like, And you hear, you heard about Ledger's Joker. I mean, the thing came out before all that. Like, yes. all that stuff came out first. So, like, you were just like, Jesus. Like, now this has, this thing is carrying a boulder on its back already. Yeah, I was, I'll admit that almost made me nervous for it because it's like, I don't want this to be a very overhyped thing. Um, I don't want, you know, Heath Ledger to almost become a joke after his his dying. But yeah, it was, 
I mean, I, I have written in my notes, like on my on my personal notes, do not go on a Marvel tangent. Do not go on a Marvel tangent. <laughs> I'm going to try really hard not to. Um, but Me too. Yeah. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> so, but at the time, this is my favorite question. What were your favorite go-to movie snacks? Uh, I was, I'm, I think I still am pretty dedicated, a loyal Sour Patch Kids guy. Um, I, I was in, I occasionally, I've, it was a bit of a valley. I didn't eat popcorn for a long time because I worked in, uh, right. I worked you at were, a movie yeah. theater, uh, for a while at a Hoyt's, uh, in Albany, um, in Latham actually. Um, and, uh, it was the stuff you put into like the grease that you put in to make popcorn. Like the smell of that is very much imprinted on you for a while after working <laughs> yeah uh and so i couldn't eat popcorn for a long time i'm coming back now occasionally i'll have a handful or two but sour patch kids are the go-to every time and a soda yeah. i have told the story before but um this movie theater in north bay ontario it was the one anchor of like the shit mall because like every mid-sized town has a good mall and a shit mall mm-hmm. and the north bay mall in the south end where i lived it was the shit mall but we had a sport check and the um and the theater there I worked at this shit mall at Dollarama, which is, <laughs> I guess, the equivalent of your Dollar Tree. And okay. so before before the movie started, that was why I love Friday Night Shift. All my friends would come in and buy dollar store like imitation candy and stuff their pockets full of it and take it to the movie theater. Because I think this was already around the time when movie snacks were starting to get very, very obscenely expensive, especially if you were at a chain movie theater. Um so I was big in my imitation bounty bars phase back then because hmm. I still ate dairy. Um, also, this was about two weeks after my 19th birthday and Cineplex was doing a pilot at the time. Oh, yeah, because in communist Canada, you can drink at 19. Um, and so we our theater was doing a pilot project. And so I am sure that whatever I had, I had a nice big beer with me and I felt like the coolest person in the world. That's, I mean, I missed out on all of that. Like, I, by the time that drinking in the theater was a normal thing, I had just kind of like, I mean, I, I, I can still enjoy a beer. I still enjoy a beer occasionally. And, uh, but like, at that, I, I am like such a monk about movie going now. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, I want a water and like, yeah, Sour Patch Kids for a big, big movie. But You've like, got the little Homer Simpson half moon glasses on, like just kind of yes. very intense. Yes, exactly. Um, like exactly that look. Yeah, I am that way now. But you must understand, there's nothing more obnoxious than a Northern Ontario kid who has just turned 19 two weeks before. Like, yeah, yeah I'm a beer. Um, so here's this is a loaded question to ask. But what did young Chris love about this movie? Uh, I'm Heath Ledger. I mean, that was mm. like when I was. Because uh, at the time I was still like a little bit of a Nolan s- uh, skeptic. Like I liked Batman Begins and I liked um, uh, Insomnia enough, but I didn't quite end uh, the Prestige, of course. But like I didn't get the cult thing. I didn't mm-hmm. understand that really. And I was like, there's some things in his editing I don't. Still to this day, I do not like. But like Heath Ledger just is an orb of energy in this movie, mm-hmm. and like total malevolence, and like. The fact that, like, it's so weird to think of the fact that, like, he had to create all these elements of this performance that are now just, like, everybody just assumes you have to do that. Like, the little way he crinks his voice and makes, like, the, the no- like, the way he it, it goes high pitch and then, like, crinkles a little bit. Like, that it's is something now. It's very hard to appreciate now. Yeah. Because it's like, that's what all actors do when they do their yes. serious actor phase now. 
Yeah, exactly. When yeah. you're trying to do this, the the bad vil- like the super villain character, you want stuff like that. You want the way of that weird way of walking, like a hunch, but like also moving very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff. I mean, at the time, was just like it, it was like watching the sun explode. It was like I, I was just like, what the holy shit! And like, and 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 the sadness of it is that for a while I was like, he is so good that it's actually making me not really care about everything else yeah. like i i am genuinely not interested in what's happening when he's not on screen that's kind of a problem um but i have since grown to appreciate the movie as a whole yeah. uh, much more speaking of the sun blowing up i do feel like one of my favorite movies around this time was sunshine but um oh, yeah. yeah i that's again i was a 19 year old film bro but um yeah i um for me, I, I was definitely drawn into it by the Heath Ledger, but I really loved the overall package of the movie. And I will say that I actually wasn't in my Nolan phase yet. This was shortly after my intro to Nolan. I mean, I was, I, I had just turned 19. I had done my last year of high school. Uh, back then, it was really common to do five years of high school, which I chose because I was poor and immature. Um, but uh, I... Uh, I had been in a film and video class that year, and uh, I got to be in the group of like gifted kids that was allowed on the uh, on the IMAX because it's like you're allowed to use Final Cut. Congratulations! Um, nice. Oh, I don't remember a goddamn thing about Final Cut. <laughs> Holy shit! Eighteen uh, year old me was so smart. Um, I, I got a little bit of it still back there, but yeah, it's been mostly sanded down. It's not as in, I I was looking at the interface a couple of years ago. I'm like, this isn't as intuitive as I remember no, it feeling. It's not. Um, but yeah, I um. Uh, one of my fellow MacLab geeks uh, for our final project, he had to do, he chose to do a parody of Memento, which it's really easy to parody Memento, like, you know, in terms of like the funny little things that he was drawing on his body. I think he drew, that was what my introduction to the dick butt meme as well, because he drew the little dick butt on his body at <laughs> some point. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I I looked, and I'm like, I know you're parodying something specific, but I don't want to seem like a fucking idiot by mm. not knowing what you're talking about. So I went and I rented Memento that weekend, and um, I uh, I know one of you guys has a story about someone going, did anyone get it? Um, That's Stephen. Stephen's, uh, yeah. uh, there was an elderly lady who yelled, did anybody get that? And uh, like, I, I think, honestly, I might that have had was, that experience too. That I, was I don't me know. the first time I watched it, and I didn't <laughs> want to admit it. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's fire, yeah. though. That's that's what it's supposed to do. Like, yeah. that means it did its job. It's t- it's kind of trying to trip you up. That's the whole yeah. point. Yeah, I, I think the Nolan movie that I was most familiar with prior to going into this was Batman Begins, which I also really liked and also watched on a first date. Um, I You know what? Love a good movie date. Need more of those. Um, <laughs> so I think... Though the entire package of it really appealed to me. Like I went for the ledger. I actually really loved Aaron Eckhart's performance in this. I have some notes on that below. But for me, it was one of those movies that like you have no idea until you look at the runtime how long it is. I think it's an incredibly well-paced movie. Um, I think it's I think also Heath Ledger is a really good spice that is added because there are long stretches without him. And, oh, yeah. or, and like you know, it's one of those movies that I think like recognizes. I was talking about this with friend of the show Mike Stevens just before. Like, Batman sequels are hard. Batman origin stories are easy and fun because Batman has a great origin story. Batman sequels are hard because Batman is not interesting as a person once he becomes Batman. And yeah. this movie actually kind of shamelessly knows that Bruce Wayne slash Batman is not an interesting person. Well, that's. I mean, that's the thing that you're always hoping some guy's gonna crack, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of was of the uh, opinion that it could have been possible for Ben Affleck 
if you were to write him correctly, which is another question altogether, but like he might have been able to do something with that mm-hmm. and make, but like Bale is very like Bale is smartly sees the Wayne character as, as a performance, as much as the Batman is a performance. Like, yes. The, and that I think is what makes it a little bit more interesting than your, like Michael Keaton is just like elementally interesting to me. So I don't know, like I, he, it, that might have been the writing. It might just be because Michael Keaton to me is an interesting actor. I, I fully agree. And you know, we're sliding right into the kind of contextualization section of the show. So we might as well get into this because I have a thing about like the stars of this movie, where they were at at the time. I think like, I don't even have any explicit notes on Heath Ledger because it, it's going to come up probably as the most prominent part of this movie discussion. But for me, like Christian Bale, like I... I was most familiar with him from from The Machinist uh, because yep. I loved The Machinist. Um, I, I still do. I haven't rewatched it in about ten years, but it's it's a good one. I, maybe maybe if I watch it, I'll find it hasn't held up. But I I, I haven't watched it in a long time. I, I yeah. but yeah, I remember being finding it quite striking the first time I saw it. We were so, I mean, I guess we still are, but we were so fucking obsessed with celebrity body transformations also. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for him, I think he weighed less than I do in uh, in The Machinist. And he, he looks it. Um, yeah. But then how much, how fucking jacked he got in this. And I think, because... I, people have posted a million times now, oh, this is what Hugh Jackman looked like when he played Wolverine the first time. And now this is what Hugh Jackman looks like now when he plays Wolverine. And I... I might be wrong, but I feel like this was the start of you can't look just regular guy in shape to be a yeah. superhero now. I would say that's probably true. Um, it, it was, yeah, because that is not as uh, prominent in uh, Iron Man. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think of his physique really, maybe because he is in the iron suit so often. Yeah. Uh, and this, they do give a sense that, like, he is a very muscular, good looking guy. And, like, mm-hmm. I think that's, if anything, something that, uh, I mean, Marvel, like, takes from Nolan, I think, is probably that, uh, is, is having a jacked, like, real jacked hero, but also, like, the interesting textures, the uh, the fascination with, like, uh, the melding of... Uh, the suit. Well, also, like, the way, like, when he's, uh, uh, the, the, ca- the cave he has below with his mm-hmm. computer, where it's just, like, a long tunnel that like has big lights on the top but the sides are like rusty old metal and like Mm. aged like from some factory you think or something like that like that kind of stuff ends up being uh replicated by marvel at some point just to not this has the feeling of actually being there and like that i think that was a huge thing from the beginning with nolan for me is that he liked stuff like that Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, getting back to the body transformation, I do feel like the 2000s, because again, we do see this whole like big PR sent over, like how much weight this guy gained, how few, how little bread this guy ate for the last year. Fuck that. Eat bread. Um, <laughs> but like we were also obsessed with like general body transformations. I remember like for fem- for for women, it was especially like how ugly this person got to play this role and stuff. Like I, I keep thinking of like Charlize Theron and Monster. Like we, we weren't too far removed from that. Um no. And so, but, like, between this and, like, I know it's such a meme, but, like, Christian Bale is going to die, right, from doing this? Because, like, between this and The Machinist and him playing that fucking war criminal, like, it's the, speaking uh, of I Adam mean, McKay. I mean, the Matt McKay thing. I mean, also, he got very, very skinny for um, the fighter, uh, I think. Oh, he got yeah. very, he was very uh, uh, scaled down because I think he was uh, uh, an addict in that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, I think this was we were starting to get tired of 
this like because that was the history of great acting right it was robert de niro in raging bull like Mm -hmm. doing like work like that where you can be both super skinny and bulk up to a huge size at the same within like a year which is just insane well, if, you have, um, if you have the right money and fucking willpower, I sure don't. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I, if if and well, because that was also that was also the story, right? Like the, the at the time, if you were going to make any kind of celebrity gossip, like that is something that people will write about is like this amazing transformation he did with his body through diet. And like, here are things that we can talk about is that what he ate. This is what he did. Like. It's the beginning of something like that. It was a little bit more um, tied to the movie than it is now. Now mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, oh my god! Like, do you, have you seen Jonah Hill? Well, that's Ozempic. Uh, like, it, it's stuff like that. But like now, I think Bale was the last guy who could really get away with making his stardom about stuff like that. Like, because mm-hmm. he was, he he would go back and forth on all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it does also go to show how much like, you know, body fat percentage and stuff changes the way your face looks because he ends up looking facially so different from movie to movie. And I really enjoy that. As for like where he ranks on my Batmans, I agree. I'm very much a Keaton is my top Batman. Like, um, you know, I'm if sorry, Mike, if you're if you're listening to this, I am just going to be not Michael Keaton, Mike Stevens. (laughs) I'm just going to be reading from the text that we were just exchanging before this. But like, I I kind of agree that my top three are Keaton Bale and I controversial take the Pattinson. Um, Mm. But I think like Keaton and and Bale both play it like Bruce Wayne is not supposed to be necessarily likable. But I like that Keaton gets to the weirdness of Bruce Wayne, because I do think that being an incredibly wealthy person is inherently isolating and makes you inherently weird. You cannot be that wealthy and be normal. Yeah. Um, and so I like I like that Keaton has that and no one else really does. I also think like Pattinson basically like he gives like, a, you know, I feel like I can say this because my brother and father are this. He gives an autistic vibe to sure. uh, to Batman. You know, <laughs> I mean, the, the, I think what I what I get from the Keaton uh, performance that I don't get from any of the other ones is him being a full out romantic, mm-hmm. like especially in Batman Returns, like in yeah. Batman Returns, it really comes out. But you can feel it even with the Kim Basinger scenes in the first movie. Like you get to, like we don't really like our heroes being too romantic anymore. Like it's supposed to be more about like, Oh, can you quip together? Mm -hmm. Is that, can you do that? Cause that's really the cornerstone of any great partnership is to be able to quip at one another and like uh, know each other's faults so well and like manipulate it. it, It's very weird. I found all the relationships in Marvel movies, very strange, especially pepper and Tony. I find it uh, unbelievably weird, but like, Bale, even Bale with Maggie Gyllenhaal, it's more about like this Michael Mann, like mm-hmm. brooding romance that can't even, like you can't even show any of it because it's so immense. Whereas like Keaton, it's just like, he's just a weird like, yeah, I like, I, I really like you. I would like to spend my life with you. Can you stop being Catwoman, please? And he shows the way love makes you stupid, which I yeah. love. Um, You know, you bring up Maggie Gyllenhaal. I cannot think because like, uh, you know, I think some people still do believe that Begins is better than this. And hey, you know what? I will give it. They're close. Mm. But this has Maggie Gyllenhaal. Begins yes. has Katie Holmes. I cannot think of a better upgrade casting change. I normally I normally don't like casting changes when movies are so close together because it's like it takes me out of it. No, this was so necessary. Bless Katie Holmes. Good for her for getting out of, uh, out of the Tom Cruise yes. thing. But... Oh, thank God for that. Oh, m- m- like... 
Nightmare I think situation. they were really they were really trying to make her happen, especially like she she had a hard time breaking from those kind of teeny roles and yeah. those like wide eyed roles. And, you know, I wish it had happened for her, but I don't think she had the chops back then. Maybe now. But Maggie Gyllenhaal just adds a little bit more of a maturity, like um, everything, everything she does, at least like when I when Rachel says this is like, no, Bruce, we can't be. I believe her because she actually seems like her own person and a fully realized human being. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, Maggie Gyllenhaal is one of the best. Like, period. Mm-hmm. I, I love her. Um, and I, she does give this character, like, that's always like it's a joke in in Oppenheimer. That's like very openly a joke. I think that like he doesn't know how to really interact with women who aren't buying into his old vibe mm-hmm. uh, in Oppenheimer. Whereas, like, in these movies, like they're always in the background. It's the Michael Mann thing again. Like Nolan's whole like trying to be Michael Mann in a lot of ways. This is another reason it doesn't work a lot is because Maggie Gyllenhaal gives this character all the meat it has because it's not on the page for sure. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the problem with Katie Holmes is like, I think she's a very good from the page actress, but she cannot bring something out. That's not there already. Like I, that's a special extra talent that like special performers I think have. She can, I think like if you put her in a play like that is, has been done by anybody else, she'd be fine at it. But like, mm-hmm. it's not going to hit the way it hits. This yeah, way. Meg- Maggie Gyllenhaal, like, she really acts a lot with her eyes and eyebrows in a way yes. that it's yeah, love. I, I love gestural. Eyebrows. Like everything yeah. is gestural, and like that's really the element to Nolan movies. I think is that he's gotten more confident with just relying on things like that mm-hmm. uh, as he's gone on. All right, so I want to talk about genre and where like the action and superhero genres are. I think like you have to look both at the superhero genre and separately the direction of. Batman films and franchises throughout the 90s like with with the Batman films in particular I think like Batman Begins had done a really good job of like yes repairing the off the rails legacy of 90s Batman movies which is a shame because I do think like I you know talking about top three favorite movies of all time Batman Returns is in there and like everyone like die hard's a Christmas movie my Christmas action movie rewatch is Batman Returns like it's it's a perfect movie to me um but so it makes me quite sad to think of how much the franchise went off the rails in the 90s but then batman begins as this very sweet little success story because no one thought it would do well and the expectations were so low and it was such a breath of fresh air so i think people really really believed in the dark knight but um uh like i find it ironic because now people justify all these like less than stellar superhero movies and like how often they come out with well it's just fun i just want to turn off my brain but it's like it's not the bonkers campy fun of like 90s batman movies like that is just fun turn off your brain you know yeah yeah i i I think the what was so refreshing about batman begins and what like because iron man is fun and Iron Man is is about like being jokey, and like that is it, it's funny that they came that this and uh, 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 Iron Man came out in the same year, mm-hmm. but like because Batman Begins, well, I think why people were attracted to it was because of the seriousness of tone, like the uh, elemental like city stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. not so much about. Uh, being wild and like like uh, the 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 thing you remember about Batman Forever and Batman and Robin is just that, like it's like goofy it, it's mm-hmm. it's all like Tim Burton overdose stuff uh, yeah. and, and all of a sudden uh, by the way right around Bush second term this new 
movie that's very serious and dire about corruption and all this stuff comes out while we're also dealing with a, a lot of corruption coming out. I think that's what like what attracts people to Nolan is that yeah. all of a sudden there was this very like studied based like very like uh, not ba- not based but like a b- very basic simplistic idea of what Batman could be like scale it all down to its parts like and that's what it felt like to watch Batman mm-hmm. begins is to watch this thing completely at a skeletal level and then this built this movie built so much more on that. Mm-hmm. When I think about like even the visuals of '90s Batman versus uh, Begins, um, like first of all, I love like Chicago is my favorite American city. I love going to Chicago every summer. Um, but um, in in the Nolan Batman movies, they don't even try to pretend that Gotham's not Chicago. I kind of love that. I um, whereas you look at the very heightened, cartoony Burton movies, and that was visually so pleasing. But it does go to show like the fine line between something looking very colorful and stimulating and whimsical, and looking like shit. Because mm-hmm. those movies do cross over into looking like shit. It just looks like vomit. Yeah, and. You know, it and it's about a lack of thoughtfulness, I think, a lack of actually taking inspiration from your source material, which is the comics. Um, and so it takes that all away. And is is it a visually interesting movie? Yes and no. Like mm-hmm. it's that's what's wonderful about it. Um, with superhero movies in general, I was thinking like, what made everything go into this more serious direction? Because like I, you know. Yes, the Raimi Spider-Man, even even the third one, like it made money. No one liked it, but it made money. Um, there was a period where like superhero movies had to be fucking amazing to get a lot of attention. Like yep. now they now there are all that there is, but there are like in the early to mid two thousands, there were some that were largely regarded as failures. So like the two Fantastic Four movies are a great fucking example. They like and I feel like especially now they're really buried because no one wants to acknowledge that um, uh, fucking. Which which Chris? How I I can't remember which which Chris is Captain America. Oh Evans. There's so many. Yeah yeah. There's, there's so a lot. many. Um Chris Evans. No one wants to acknowledge that he was in a Marvel movie before he was Captain America. Um yeah, yeah but like and Daredevil was famously terrible. Like Elektra was like, which basically I think kind of killed Jennifer Garner's career as an action star. She pivot like and. I prefer Jennifer, listen to our Juno episode for my feelings sure. about Jennifer Garner, but she was such an action girl before and Electra kind of really derailed that. They tried to bring it back with a really horrendous movie called Peppermint, um, yes. where she goes after, I think, cartel people or something to that effect. Uh, it, it's horrid. Um, I did not see Peppermint because I, by the time I heard about it, I heard it was horrible. It's really bad. Uh, the I, I think you're, I mean, I think you're 100% right that like, what ha- what happened was for a long time everybody was certain superhero movies like yeah we allowed Burton to do his thing because it's Burton Burton was mm-hmm. what we were paying for like his tone is a little bit more elevated more adult uh, than most and but what we when those movies were coming out it was because it was Tim Burton making them it wasn't because it was a Batman movie it was because yeah. Tim Burton's making this movie mm-hmm. um, what I think happened after that is everybody got convinced. That the only way to make these movies was to make them for uh, uh, babies and teenagers. Mm, like yeah. Fantastic <laughs> Four movies are both very kid oriented. Even though there's a death in the second one that is horrendous. Um, uh, I forget who. It, I think it's Andre Brower maybe. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm completely blanking. But there, it's a pretty wild little thing that happens in it. Oh, sorry. My wife just got home and there, my dogs are going to bark for a little bit. 
No worries. Should I, uh, can you hear them a lot in the? Uh, yeah, a bit, uh, not anymore. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I, she's trying to get them out, I think. Taped and corked. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> there they go. Poor puppos. Hold on one second. Yeah, of course. Sorry about good. that. No, nope, we should be on. fine. Uh, so we're, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, she's taking him out for a walk, so now my it's dog all good. Hits. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, dogs have big feelings. It's all good. Yes, mm-hmm. the little guy with the big feelings. Oh. Um. So where I forget where we were. Well, we were talking. Uh, well, you were talking about Andre Brower's horrible death in yeah. uh, Fantastic Four: oh. Silver Surfer. But I, I was thinking about one, one movie, and I don't think this movie was by by any means the most influential superhero movie or like a movie that has kept any of its edge after two thousand five. But there was one comic book movie that I feel like a lot of people really forget about, specifically because it lost its edge after two thousand five. But that's Sin City. Yeah. Um, I. I gotta, I know that movie hasn't aged particularly well, and not even in a social way, just like this this movie is not edgy or cool anymore. But um, I think that was one of the, like, that to me was a movie that proved that you could make a, um, a Batman movie largely based on The Killing Joke, which is one of the more dark, like, graphic novels in oh, yeah. Batman. Um, and really make it work now visually obviously sin city is very very different from this and it kind of has the best of both worlds of like that that tim burton very elevated style very like non-traditional style but then also the fact that like there was a lot of brutality in that movie and the one like you know we talk about the things that heath ledger does with his voice i think um Oh, I forget which actor it is, but he he gets basically decapitated in Sin City, and he's then having the this bizarre like post Benicio del Toro. Yes, yeah, so he's talking uh, to Clive Owen. Yep, and that's the Tarantino sequence that he directed. It is yes, yeah. and the way he goes from kind of high and dreamy to like he yep. he does that fun fun like gesticulation with his voice, and that's the only other really cool early example I can think of um, in these superhero movies. But again, this was not near regarded nearly as evergreen i think as the dark knight no i i mean i think what you were seeing was that like sin city even the fact that it was <clears throat> it was a graphic novel and not a comic book a, a saturday morning uh hero superhero cartoon anything like that there was expectant of a certain style to come with it right and yep. an adult uh tinge to it um but like Daredevil, Electra, all the other ones, there was an attempt, and I don't think it was a successful one, of trying to make these for kids and teenagers mm-hmm. specifically, and like, and more towards the kids, not you know, not more towards like the the adult uh, ideas of being a teenager, but more towards the kid ideas of being a teenager. Uh, and then this movie, along with Iron Man, which makes more of a joke about all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think upgrade give people the feeling that this isn't this stuff isn't for babies. No, what what fucking thirteen year old cares about the Gotham District Attorney? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Th- that's like something that somebody who has read, you know, The Dark Knight Returns uh, and The Killing Joke, uh, mm-hmm. and, and like thinks those are like real art and stuff like that. They can feel like this is real art. Like they mm-hmm. like I'm not sure if it is, but like at least with Batman Begins and like well Iron Man is other uh, as well, but. I think at least you can make the argument now and it makes people feel good that they can think of these things as art again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, Tales from the Rec Room is all about context and where the industry was and where we were at this time. So I'm very curious. There is a movie that came out about a year later that tried to do this again. How do you feel about The Watchmen, Chris? I like, I, I mean, the more I return to it, it's probably the Zack Snyder movie I like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. I, I think that. that's probably where I land with it. It's not particularly good, but what it tries to pull, like, I, I, like it, I'm not sure if you could have ever, I, like I, I, the HBO series is interesting. I'm not sure if it's good, but like, it certainly is interesting. Um, this, it, it's because you just, you, you couldn't do, it's too much. It's too much of a book. It's too huge to ever do in a three like i don't care who you are you can't i don't think you can do it i really don't you know i talk about movie dates that was a last date for me it was a watch was watch it's an explosive end like that would i would get into an argument with somebody over that movie it was more that i i just remember feeling like because that movie was so incredibly un like something about it was so unspectacular and shouldn't have been i mean that movie has like patrick wilson like i've always thought patrick wilson would make a good batman um uh, but um that was a big like what am i doing with my life kind of moment <laughs> watching that but you're right it's it's too dense because there are so many wonderful spectacular elements of watchmen yeah. um but uh you know this is why you have like something like the dark knight which picks and chooses it it's a little like uh you know back when pizza hut used to do the sunday buffet you take some sprinkles of yes. the killing joke and you take some chocolate chips from the dark knight returns and like you weave your own original story i think that would have been a better choice for the mm-hmm. watchmen but i think a lot of people were were sold on watchmen as a concept because of the success of the dark knight this you know graphic novel adaptation and to a lesser extent sin city and a lot of us just kind of walked out like what the fuck was that yeah it's 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 a alan moore is also a very particular flavor like i yeah. It, it, you got to take care with stuff like that and Zack snyder is not like of the things i understand that people like about him he is not a man who I put with like care, like uh, no. of of the sensitivities of a narrative. I don't think he really cares that much. That is a positive in certain elements, mostly negative though. Absolutely, uh, and, and that's probably why. Like, I find Watchmen uh, fun to watch because it's the most interesting. Like, it's got an Alan Moore story in it. Like, it's mm-hmm. just going to be more interesting than his other stories. Like, Three Hundred is not an interesting story to me. I'm like, okay, it happened. That's fine. Uh, too on the nose but it is almost like the um it is almost kind of the opposite like you say like nolan like you know there's not a lot on the page and there are things that bring that bring it to life through the choices the actors make and through the fact that nolan is a very good director and i think he directs actors pretty well oh he's Um, very good at that i think you know watchman uh is a lot on the page that it's kind of fell flat and i don't know I, I would assume it's probably I, I've got to go back and rewatch it and I would probably enjoy it more in my 30s now than I did at 19. But I, I do think a large part of it is probably not great direction. No. And I think it's because he is 
the Snyder does tend to be more literal than he should, and like it, it gets Aww. annoying. Yeah, like I, you just get annoyed by it, and after a while, you get bored of being the, the sensory overload of it bores you. It's Absolutely. weird. Like you just you're just overworked. Yeah, I, I have ADHD, and Watchmen is not a great movie for ADHD. I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I have it. I not to a great extent, but I have it. I I, I had I took Ritalin for like ever when I was a kid. God, uh, the '90s were bonkers. Just wild. Yeah, wild um, stuff. But um, no, uh, one last note on genre because you guys have a term that I fucking love on We Hate Movies, and that is a dad for noon movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I think because. We already looked in our Juno episode at what the highest grossing movies of 2006 and 2007 were. A lot of, spoiler alert, a lot of franchise movies. Um, But uh, a lot of franchise movies and then super bad. Um, But I I do think beyond the highest grossing movies, this era leading up to The Dark Knight was such an era of elevated Dad for Noon movies. Like Dad for Noon movies that could and often did win Oscars. Like No Country, Michael Clayton, Zodiac, Sunshine, Mm -hmm. History of Violence. Like these, this was the absolute fucking tops for dad. And I think Dark Knight is a great example of an elevated dad for noon movie. This is a movie that I can and I think have watched with my dad. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. think I think dads really like Nolan in general. Nolan's got a very, like, uh, what we were talking about, the, like, you go, the transition is from, like, the big bubbly colors of a Burton or a Schumacher, and you're training that in for textures. Everything mm-hmm. is textures. Uh you know, uh, especially like uh, the way he weaves different cities as as into Gotham. Like it's Chicago, it's New York, it's Pittsburgh, uh, mm-hmm. it's Detroit. It's like a bunch of different cities at once. And what he's focusing on is like like bridge work, road work. Like he really yeah. does think those things matter and that they give uh, character to the world you're building. And he's right. I think he's absolutely 100% correct. Uh, and that is the switch of that is something dads are into. That is something that dads are city planning, shit like that. <laughs> if, if, if certain dads and engineer dads, especially my dad uh, is an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Are <laughs> fucking crazy about that stuff. So like you see like the adult sensibility really does ring home. He's very serious about this stuff. Um, and like, I guess to me, what that was, was the last time I think that we were, and I mean, maybe we are going to have another cycle of it now. But like the new Hollywood tone, like all the movies you just mentioned are all movies that uh, sound or look or have the underlying thematic fascinations of pretty famous uh, new Hollywood era, 70s, uh, mid to late 70s specifically, uh, Mm -hmm. but also like essentially just the whole 70s uh, had. And like it's these movies where like the moral center is not for sure. Yep. The people you are following are not old pe- always people you like. Um, uh, you are just uh, impressed. Not, not. I mean, impressed. I guess is maybe word, but like enthralled by them. And Absolutely. like, and that I think is as true of in Sunshine as it is for No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about morals because the one thing I have on the context here, and uh, again, sorry, Mike Stevens. I'm, I'm, I'm. Totally plagiarizing our conversation here, but uh, the Patriot Act stuff in this, because a lot of people have, I think, fairly criticized this movie for the fact that the last third of it is a big old boner for the Patriot Act. I will, however, say that I feel a little differently. Not that I not that I feel like it isn't there. I, the surveillance culture of it all. This is a movie that loses, I guess, maybe a bit of sheen because we are now so far removed from the post 9-11 content. I mean, and I, I know I'm Canadian, but like it was... 
all Canadians just consume about 95% American media anyway. Um, so yeah. we consume American media and the CBC, um, like, and, and hockey games, I guess. So like, I, I see the ick of it now. Um, and mm -hmm. it's not that I don't have a problem with it. I've just never considered Nolan's movies to be about particularly likable or good people. There's no moral stance on it. And like, there are a lot of very online people who are acting that way about Oppenheimer right now. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. He is like, he's contrasted with like fucking devil imagery. Um, you know, like it's, it's also a bit of a paradox because at its conceit, Batman is about an, uns like an, I said, an unstable billionaire who would rather like maim common circus trash than use yeah. as well to make Gotham a better place. And it is easier to say that in the Burton Batmans or you could like, like I said, just turn your brain off. Like, but because they're so inherently ridiculous, Nolan grounds the film and, you know, tries to make it a Michael Mann movie. And so it's, it is tougher to say, just turn your brain off. But like, you know, like, as we always say, it's good when Bart did that. Like no one's going <laughs> like, it's good that Batman did that. I, yep. I think it's pretty clear when Morgan Freeman is like, I quit. Like, that's yeah. fucked up, man. Well, I think that's, I mean, what I think, I mean, like, it's it's something we're dealing with more and more today, I would think, course, is yeah. like, the a movie has to uh, give you moral lessons. Like, mm -hmm. that is what people are looking for in movies, which i i never have but like i i guess that is the order of the day is that they want movies to be more didactic like literally uh to give you uh rules to live by um which is not interesting to me like i i, I have I, i've worked on my morals for a long time i mm -hmm. i've shaped them i i've i've read a lot i've i've talked a lot I've, I've done my own work on them i don't need a movie to guide me to things and i think that's what well, but like to your point about like the surveillance state and Patriot Act stuff, there's a line very late in this, and I think it, it makes more sense as this movie ages. But like, there's a a line about how um, people need something better than this. They need uh, uh, something uh, something to believe in, something bigger than themselves. And like, he's very he's talking about Aaron Eckhart in this movie. And like the whole idea is that like yeah no no the bad guys won but I can't I can't allow that so like mm. for the movie to be like the movie's a fantasy like the whole yeah. is kind of out outing itself in that moment as a fantasy is like no 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 like all of this like the fact that like yeah you could use you could use this incredible surveillance weapon uh, against people for one time for one time when you would really needed it. And then shut it down completely. That is the dream of everybody who, like, uh, I mean, not the non-cynical people who supported surveillance state stuff. Like, that is their dream, is that it would be something like that. And, like, that's what he's saying is, like, here, this is a fantasy of what would actually happen if actually the people who make a billion dollars in this world are actually the ones who are trying to save it. Like yeah. if Elon Musk is for real and stuff like that, that's the fantasy, right? And it's the fantasy of everybody oh, who does it. Oh, he's working on it. He's working. Well, on yeah, it. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, uh, behind it all, I'm God. sure he's 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 got it. He's all he's packed it down. But like that is the and that's also the dream of every whether it's true or not of what reality is. The dream of every person is that if I ever were to make a billion dollars, I would do the right. I would actually fix things. I would do the. He is allowing you to believe that for a little bit in this Batman movie while also being like, well, yeah, because if you look at what happened with Aaron Eckhart, of course, like, yeah, the bad guys won. Of course, we know mm -hmm. this. Everybody knows this. But yeah. like 
we I need to make people believe so that they can keep on with their lives. Like mm-hmm. it's an interesting idea that I think was probably I I kind of just like waved away back then, but it feels more maybe because of Oppenheimer. I feel it more intensely on this watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. Uh, so. I, I think you've pretty much said all, all we can say. I will also say, like, I think, so talking about villains, because we're talking about Aaron Eckhart here, I think sure. the villain choices in, in the follow-up are great, because, like, the one thing about Batman Begins is, like, <sighs> Batman Begins, I think one of the other reasons why I prefer um, prefer Dark Knight to Begins is because, I like I said, I like the, the Raimi Spider-Mans and stuff. I was not a big comic book reader. I... I was a girl. No, like my <laughs> I, that was my brother's world. It was not my world. Um, but I think I think the Dark Knight is a really really great intro in for people who are not super into comic books. And so I will say that begins Ra's al Ghul and the Scarecrow, even though they are actually very frequently appearing in the comic books. Like, let's face it, that's not what fifteen year old Brie knew as Batman villains. Yeah. And so I, I was like, oh, this is a little niche. This is still for people who really get the comic books. Joker and Two Face, no one doesn't know who they are. Yeah. Um, and I think Two Face, like, we've already seen one very like it's also interesting because we have one really, really amazing uh, cinematic example of the Joker in recent history at this point with Jack Nicholson, but we have also one really, really not great example with Two Face, and I, I like Tommy Lee Jones so much, uh, but the but Two Face, like I don't know, I I I can't figure out like where his career was at that point. Like I know that I know that No Country was a great kind of like yeah man he's back, but yeah. uh, I mean that I think <laughs> he was just he was riding the post fugitive wave still at that yeah. time, and I mean that's the the glee of doing something. I, I mean. I forget. I think it was William Friedkin, the late William Friedkin, just recently. Oh, gosh, there was yes. a, a, a quote he had about how, like, Pacino, like, he never really cared about working with Pacino. He didn't think it was that great a thing. But he's like, Tommy Lee Jones is an incredible actor. Like, mm-hmm. for sure, like, insanely, like, and that is what I feel in the Two Face performance is a guy really going for something that he probably is not the right guy for ultimately mm-hmm. but like I, I, like I can't hate that performance and it does the thing that I kind of don't like about the car performance is that I kind of think if you're going to be this like focus on like actual city architecture like a uh, DIY joker nothing is too like out of the realm of possibility for a guy like that mm-hmm. uh, I kind of think you need to find a way to not make it a CGI burnt face. Yes. I kind of think you have to figure something out. You know, we talk a lot on the show about things that do and don't hold up. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking at 19 that that looked great. <laughs> no. And, you know, you talk about things that aren't meant to be watched in a living room. That face is not meant to be watched in a living room. It's really, no. you're very, it's, it's almost literally seeing how the sausage is made. Um, it's, yeah, it's not it's great. Just, Especially the the eye is too much. Yeah, the eye I mean, is too much. I I get like it. It has more personality than most CGI does. I give it that. I give mm-hmm. it that. It is, uh, it it is meant to suggest like in in a technical way. If you were to read this from a technical point of view, mm-hmm. it is giving a sense of like the um, a new kind of evil is uh, a not one of um you know makeup and uh 
uh, paint and color and just like smeared everywhere. The next version is CGI, is computers. Like I get it from that point of view, but yep. that's still just a technical reading. That's not like pulling me into the story and making me feel about this character. It distracts me every time I see him. Every There's time I see him, I'm like, geez, well, okay. There's no kind of pathos to it because it's too technical. There's no, um, you feel no empathetic response. And yeah. that is when it's, when he starts to become a capital C comic book villain. Yes. Um, you know, and, and it's a shame because I think like Aaron Eckhart's facial performance is really good when he says like, look at me. Yeah. But then you have that fucking eye that looks like the guy, like yes. it looks like Mike Wazowski. And it's not, <laughs> it's, Ah, oh, I don't want to say it's not good, but it's not a choice that I'm a fan of. Um, but I do kind of think the unspoken tragedy of this movie is that Aaron Eckhart's performance does get lost. Like, the Joker performance was already bound to catch movie attention. Like, even even if Ledger had not died, there was so oh, much yeah. buzz about, like, can you believe they picked this guy? And, Man. you know, all the talks about, like, oh, he based his performance off Alex from A Clockwork Orange and Sid Vicious. I still love the Joker, but when I watch it, the more I think about it, the more I see Cosmo Kramer and that Joker. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Something about it. Like it's it's very Kramer. But um yeah, like I every everything Ledger does, every choice he makes, of course it was going to overshadow Aaron Eckhart's performance. But yeah. I think it like Eckhart takes a back seat in the movie focus-wise, which is a shame because I think he was like you said, like Tommy Lee Jones does as good as he can with with um, Two Face, but when you think about Harvey Dent, the man, Aaron Eckhart is such a good choice for that. Yeah, I mean, I think what's always interesting and what uh, I was drawn to at first to Nolan uh, after Memento, at least, uh, like Memento is kind of its own thing. I don't think that's still him in the rough. He's not. He hasn't turned his style into. Uh, a thing I think prestige is what actually cements his style really that's mm. the movie that really where he comes into his own uh but the thing with um every character is symbolizing a point of view and like in he gets a good amount of differentials in there like he he, he wants variety mm. so like something like Oppenheimer like Eckhart is good because he is that version of good and he's not like wily or anything like that he's not like batman where he actually has the money and like has these two versions of himself that are working towards this great goal it's just him and that's what's interesting about their dynamic but like just in oppenheimer the same way like you can't something like safty's performance comes in and is so big because of the accent and because of the i mean the again the symbolic power of the man who thought of the hydrogen bomb talking to the man who thought of the atomic bomb uh, and just like looking and talking to each other. Other guys like someone like, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Josh Hartnett, who's great in it yeah. uh, and looks fantastic. Um, he like kind of fades into the background if you're not watching fully because he doesn't have that kind of bombast. Like mm -hmm. the, the script hasn't given it to him, but also like you need to have a couple of characters who are quieter. You need a Gary Oldman in, uh, and the Dark Knight, like Gary Oldman, is just like he is just justice. He's like the sober-eyed view of justice and good, and like that is what he's always supposed to be. And they sully him. The good thing about it is that they sully him a bit because he always does. He he uh, relies on Batman. He relies on certain elements of corruption mm -hmm. uh, until he doesn't. Uh, but him as a symbol is always of like you see him and you're like justice. I see him, and that is the image he is showing everybody. 
you know, man's quest for good, which is yes. very different from man's quest for order, which many people confuse good with order. And that's where I think Harvey Dent lies. Um, sure. And like I what I love, like we haven't even talked about any of the supporting cast, but I love Gary Oldman's performance for the exasperation in it. Like Gary Oldman, like she has the range like she she can do it all, baby. <laughs> um, I want to probably like will when when he dies, that will be like you know, one of the, like, he was one of the greatest, where we actually mean it. Oh, yeah. Um, I love his Jim Gordon so much. He wasn't who, like, young Brie pictured as as Jim Gordon. And I think he's so perfect because of the desperation, like, the, his reading of, I have to save Dent, and the the emphasis he puts on it. Ah, oh, it's, it's so, again, he's the one who elevates it from the page. Exactly. Um, and- yeah. And I think he. This is a movie where they do do a lot of the comic book stuff correctly. It is the tone is much more of the Dark Knight, like returns. uh, The 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 graphic novel is like it's so sober eyed in that view. But like also, if from a movie point of view, Jim Gordon isn't much of a character. Like Mm. that's why, like I think of him more of as a symbolic director, is because it like if you were to actually talk about what do you know about Jim Gordon you don't really know much at all other than he's married and he's friends with Batman yeah um and like yeah like and Gary Oldman gives him the interiority Gary Oldman gives him the 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 texture and voice and the amplitude going back and forth and all that stuff but like what is interesting about it to me is that like he is just this symbol and he's given it such little tiny details and it's really like a sketch even and like mm-hmm. Nolan has become, I think, over the years, more focused on stuff like that. But you can still see it in movies like this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we uh, like to do on the show is kind of talk about like what is the modern equivalent to this. And it's funny, you know, ten episodes in, I've had so many of like, oh, they don't make X kind of movies anymore. Like we were saying, they don't really make theatrically released teen movies anymore, mm-hmm. which is largely because of what you said about like movies have to moralize now and teens are especially scrutinous of morals. Yes. Um, I, I work with teenagers and I, I'll say this, they're better people than I was when sure. I was, a, when I was a teenager, but man, it's, it's exhausting. It's tough. Uh, they don't also, as we discovered in, in our miracle episode, they don't make sports movies anymore. Nope. They used to make like a dozen fucking sports movies a year. Um, so, but God, they still make action movies. They sh- they sure do. <laughs> they sure do still make superhero movies. Like it, and and modern era. Like I'm pretty generous. Like the last ten years, like streaming era on. If like if I'm gonna talk about like what is a superhero movie from the last ten years that I would compare to this, in terms of quality, the one highest quality like single hero focused one I can think of is Black Panther. Mm. But I can't really compare it to The Dark Knight in any way other than. It's one of the last really good single hero focused movies. Like, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's again you're talking about uh, the thing that what Marvel won was this idea of sheen, right? Mm-hmm. Like color. It, it is go- geared directly at teenage boys. Teenage boys is the market we are trying to keep on ball. And Black Panther looks great. Is directed very well by Coogler, but there is nobody who's going to look at that and like from like just like uh, first impressions be like that's an adult movie mm-hmm. you i don't think anybody's going to do that i think yeah. it's dealing with some pretty adult themes i think it's trying to do that in a very uh, in a new progressive way i really appreciate that and I, I enjoy the movie quite a bit but if you're talking about the movie that attempted to bring the sheen of adulthood and art 
to uh, the superhero movie. Mm-hmm. The the real one is Chloe Zhao's Eternals. Yeah, that is you know, what they that that is what they were trying to do. That was the attempt there. I'm I'm quoting my friend Mint here as well, but uh, you know everyone talks about like oh Raimi got to be Raimi in the in that one Spider Man movie because we had like one kind of fucked up Evil Dead esque scene. Um, I I really don't give garbage. a shit. At the very least, I will say Eternals is like, you know, again, quote, quoting Mint here, half a Chloe Zhao movie. It's half a Chloe Zhao movie. Yeah, you, you get know? you get the the nice pictures of skies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nice landscapes. You get the the stuff that you like in a Chloe Zhao movie is there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, a, it's you're not you're not dealing with familiarity the way you are. Like, bat, everybody knew Batman. You, yep. you, it, 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 your your father knew who Batman was. Like, it, it wasn't like. Not everybody knows what the fucking Eternals are. Like it's it's just yeah. not how it works. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think the problem there was also because like you were trying to force two things together. You're like, it, it's it's always the thing with like it's always you have to want the thing that you don't have. So what they wanted, they wanted an Oscar, and like they thought that doing that would be like oh, art plus what we do would equal Oscar. So they mm-hmm. did it, and it's just a mess. And like nobody really cares about that movie. If if you've Watch it. It's impossible to pay attention to. You guys uh, have an episode on Eternals, don't we, you? We, we yeah. have indeed. It's pretty long. Uh, I'd, I'd never want to watch that movie again. Uh, but it is that that was the calculus behind it was to try to find a way to bring art into this thing that everybody has accepted is like the most money grubbing, you know, uh, vacuous, cynical thing in the world. Like, no, 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 we're going to do it. And it was everybody was indifferent to it. It actually yeah. might have. It might have killed Marvel. That's the other thing. Is it might have. That was right when the thing started going south for them. Was well, right and, around then. And it no longer became this like contrarian thing to say like I actually don't like the Marvel movies because like before Eternals, if you said that, you'd get a, de- a decent amount of people being like, "Oh my god, let people enjoy things," or you're just being a contrarian <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after that, that was kind of the schism. I think when now like. No one actually likes Marvel movies. Like the peop- even the people who do kind of only like them cynically. Um, when I look though at general, like beyond the superhero genre, at what I would consider the modern equivalent, although I just looked this up and this movie is actually from 2012, which is just making me feel like I'm 34 years old, but this makes me feel fucking 50. Like how is this movie now 11 years old? Um, but I was thinking Skyfall. Skyfall yeah. is a great example of taking existing IP and saying uh, and saying, okay, we had our campy fun in the '90s. We had our super elevated kind of video game style of presentation, and now we're remembering that this is a movie for adults. I mean, I think Skyfall still has a little bit of teen boy appeal because James oh, yeah. James Bond inherently has teen boy appeal. There's but guns. I think, yeah, there's guns. Um, <laughs> Daniel Craig, I think, is the is the one actor that every very heterosexual male still has a crush on, like, um, which is kind of Christian, much more charming, but like Christian Bale, same thing. Like, you know, you've got a very magnetic star of it. And, and also like, it's, I don't know. It's just a movie that was able to exist with a little bit more dignity um, and, and while being true to the source material. So, but Skyfall is 11 years old, which is making me like, wow. That movie came out when I like had gotten my undergraduate. I'm like, oh fuck me, like <laughs> yeah, it's and time. Also, what is time? But also, you saw that like at the end of the day, nobody is nobody is capable of thinking outside of market trends because yep. 
what did they do with uh, Skyfall is they start branching it and make it more of a like an arching like it, like the one thing you like about the freaking Bond movies is they were always just one thing. He's out. Mm-hmm. It's a you know what kind of movie it is. We got to hook him in for the sequel, though. How do we know that people will see the next one? It's a James Bond. Like that's to me like it's like <laughs> you don't have to set these things up. You don't have to like alter the DNA of the thing like. I'm not this even franchise sure. Franchise is older than most of the people in the audience at this point. Like yes, and I'm not even sure if like that. Like everybody is like, well, that's why Avengers works with all the setups of like the origins movies coming out right in, as this thing starts happening. <sighs> and I'm like, I guess that was a good way of doing things, but it is by no means the only way of doing things. And just because Avengers made all the fucking money does mm-hmm. not mean that you just do that and you're gonna like time has told you this time and time again. Just doing what the popular guy does does not mean you're going to get the same ends as him. And it's probably going to fuck the thing, uh, what you like about the thing you have. Like, see Superman, see Justice League, see all, yeah. all that nonsense. Like, it, 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 it just, it, there's nothing to it. Absolutely. And uh, as we are about to descend into ripping our own skin off because we have gotten into the Mar- we've gotten onto the Marvel <laughs> wagon. And uh, you know what? It's too early in the day for me to rip my own skin off. Um, so we're going to descend into the lightning round, last Tales from the Rec Room lightning round of 2023, in which we harness the power of our last two remaining brain cells. And I say, don't think too much about your responses, but as many people have started to feel self-conscious about the lightning round, we do end up taking a while in our answers. It's fine. It doesn't have to be literal lightning. Uh, but if you could uh, see any of the living cast members come back and reprise their role in the current Batman universe, who would it be? Um. So of of the Dark Knight, then. Yes. Um. I mean, like, of course, you you would you would hope. Uh. uh you know what? I think you kind of have to go with um with Olman. Yes. I, I I think he's just so sturdy in this role, and so the the hair even I was thinking about the hair in this like yeah. it he really just he there's all these little things that are just so well done about him and the way he looks. I mean I'm I don't want to take credit away from hairstylists and makeup artists who I'm sure had a lot to do with that as well. Yeah. Um, but like the way he wears the whole role is just so perfect. I, I fully agree. And when I think of the other supporting cast members, like, I mean, I, I love Michael Caine as Alfred. I think he was a great yes. choice, you know, um, uh, Morgan Freeman. But they are very much just Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman yes. in that movie. Absolutely. And, you know, so. Okay, I would say rank your modern movie Batmans from favorite to least favorite. I did. Okay, I did keep Affleck in there. Keaton, Kilmer, Clooney, Bale, Affleck, Pattinson. Hmm. Okay, Keaton. so it would have to start with Keaton for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think I gotta go bail. Um, I, then I guess I do have to go with Pattinson, but Kilmer is very close on his tail. I really do like his his version of it. I mean, Clooney's mm-hmm. the last. I mean, look, everybody, we're we're not kidding anybody. Like Clooney mm-hmm. just didn't give a shit, and like he it, did it, it for the pay. Yeah, 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 it was very clear. Like he didn't really care about what was happening. Kilmer at least cared. Like you can yeah. see that in his performance, but like. The first three are the ones I care about the most. Affleck, I, I always wonder what could have been, but like, it, still, it, it's fine yeah. that it's what it is. For that reason, I have almost the exact same ranking as you, like Keaton number one and Bale, very close second. Pattinson, you know, like we've only seen one from him. Who knows? He could really step it up yeah. or he could really go in a weird way with it. Um, 
Uh, I actually have Affleck in fourth. And like I said, Affleck, I agree. It's a real what could have been. I've always thought Affleck was the most perfectly cast when he did Gone Girl. I was a huge fan. I liked the book, but I don't know if you've ever read the book. It's not a very good book. Uh, No, it's like a trashy airport novel. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like got halfway through and I was like, I'm not sure if I'm interested in this. Which is funny because I was recently thinking about the book and the halfway point is when it gets bad. So if you didn't like it halfway through, like after- I wasn't into it in the beginning, no. It seems, it gets borderline porny in the second half. So I'm I'm just like, we, we did an episode about Fincher, but like I cannot emphasize enough how good a job Fincher did elevating what is a trashy airport novel and making it into this really great- slick uh moody movie but um affleck was so well cast in that and i would say that nick dunn as a character is extremely similar to bruce wayne as as good as you can and so i just i guess i i have affleck as fourth on the list because he could have been better oh (laughs) yeah i I mean we just never got to see the thing that would have like it's always snippets that's what's so Mm -hmm. interesting about the affleck batman is like with the exception of justice league most of his performance is just in snippets from other movies, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Batman versus Superman. But even then, like, I don't really think about him in that movie. I think about Superman in that movie for the most part. Yeah. Uh, but, like, yeah, we never just got to see him with a Joker or with a Riddler. Like, mm-hmm. that would have been nice. That would have been nice yeah. to just see that kind of movie. But we didn't see it. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the Joker, and we haven't really even talked about this man, but who's do we think is the stronger Joker, Ledger or Nicholson? I, I got to give it to Ledger because it's just such an elemental like the things that Jack Nicholson does for the Joker are mostly Jack Nicholson things. Yes. Heath Ledger what he does for the Joker is are things that are completely original. Like just mm-hmm. off the top of his head working with Nolan like trying to mold uh, this malevolence into something. Uh and it, it's totally it was, at the time it was totally new. It was to me I was like just blown away and like I love Nicholson, don't get me wrong, but like yeah, I, I have to give it to Ledger. Yeah, and it makes you kind of think because, like, I mean, I think Heath Ledger was already, a, like, had a great career prior to this. I also think that his Oscar was a bit of, like, um, it. I mean, I, I, he deserved that Oscar, but I think also it was the regret Oscar of we didn't give him an Oscar for uh, Brokeback Mountain. Problematic yes. movie in in retrospect, but he was brilliant in it. Yeah. Um, I, I I still think one of his strongest performances is A Knight's Tale. God, that that movie just charms the pants off you. But uh, it gives you such a good idea of the actor he could have been. Yeah. Um, and uh, I Nicholson, like he was probably like he was my my nightmares as a kid. Uh, him as the Joker, uh, and then every now and then you get some uh like someone who thinks they're edgy, like um. Actually, uh, the best Joker is um, Leto. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, God, Jesus <laughs> Christ! Uh, no, and you know what? I will also say I don't want to defend the movie Joker, but I think Joaquin Phoenix is actually quite good in that. If it hadn't been for like the memification of that movie, um, it uh, like that that movie was destined to not be remembered well but i actually think like Joaquin Phoenix is great in it yeah um but no i i was thinking about um 
uh, people who like pretend that voice acting is the exact same as ah, acting and say, like, Mark, oh, actually Mark the Hamill. best. Like, and I agree. Mark Hamill's Joker is incredible, but yeah. I'm not comparing voice acting to acting. No. It's not me saying voice acting isn't real acting. I'm saying it's a very different discipline. Yeah. You're telling me that Mark, that Mark Hamill can do the exact same things with his, with his face. Like he doesn't need to do things with his face because he is voice acting. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I don't understand that. I mean, like, unless I mean, I'll be honest. I have not like watched the behind-the-scenes documentaries about the making of Batman the Animated Series, but unless I hear from people that he was like super involved in how the Joker looks, like from like and developing the character, yes, because you don't I'd, do that maybe. in animation. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Your voice actors don't don't have that in animation. It's no. not saying that voice acting is not an important discipline. No. Wow, I can't believe I entirely forgot the, about Jared Leto and his whole overpublicized Joker shit until you mentioned it. Well, he was supposed <sighs> to do another one too, and then I just think everybody was like, "We're tired. Please stop." Yeah, I. That's I. I poor Joaquin Phoenix. I think Joker was destined to fail, but um, I mean, they're doing another one. It can't fail. So I mean, like. <sighs> I I don't think it failed. It got them what they wanted, so it mm-hmm. didn't really fail. Like it failed in that, like it's not a very good movie in my view. Mm-hmm. But like Joaquin Phoenix is very good in it because Joaquin Phoenix is very generally is very good. He has mm-hmm. he has the juice. Uh, yeah. Whatever he does, I'm usually going to be there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, so this movie is 152 minutes long. Doesn't feel like it, but it is. Uh, if you needed to trim some fat, what do you trim? What do I trim? Um. I think I probably the stuff with the like when uh, that's funny. It's it's hard, but like because I, I don't know if you take this if it takes out the struts, um, like the stuff with the behind the the corruption stuff. Like uh, it is not so important to me that you because it doesn't. Whatever they say, I it doesn't look to me like Gotham is some like dilapidated hellhole. It looks like it's a pretty normal city for the most part. Yeah, okay, there's a, a truck on fire in the middle of the expressway. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, fine. That's a little apocalyptic. Uh, but for the most part, I just kind of feel like that stuff, that's not what you're looking for. That's not what you are good at, Christopher Nolan. Like, mm-hmm. What you like the city for is for the look of the city. It's not for like the actual mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like stuff like yeah like the cops being corrupt the 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 killing of the mayor and the, that whole not the mayor like uh the commissioner the and and, yeah. and the judge and all that stuff i'm kind of like i guess you have to show like even you know what it's a good scene even the begin the the opening that they showed at the i am legend screening to me is a little superfluous because mm-hmm. um, it is essentially just being like we promise you the joker is coming yeah. We promise you it's because you would have had to wait, what, like 15, 20 minutes if you just started from like after that scene. Because you don't really like nobody really cares about what happens in that moment. Like it's not like that's referenced in some like intense moment at all. Like mm-hmm. I think they maybe go to the bank at, right at the beginning. But like I, it didn't matter to me. Like it, it, it's cool. It's well done. Yeah. But like I just don't care about it. I still really like that cold open, but I do think now, like, viewing it through the 2023 lens, because, like, every superhero movie has a cold open like that now, and, like, um, I would say, like, I I agree with you, the corruption of Gotham does take a lot of real estate, uh, the pee-pee-soaked heck hole that is Gotham, although I would still try to make sure that you keep in Eric Roberts, um, but... 
Because I keep forgetting that fucking Eric Roberts is in this movie in all his leathery glory. Um, God, that guy, I know that man smells unreal. Um, <laughs> and he's the, he is absolutely himself in this movie. I would actually say, this might be a controversial thing, but the um, plot to blow up a hospital, the only reason I would cut that down is because no hospitals end up actually... I mean, he does blow up the hospital, but yeah. no one's in it. It's... Um, this doesn't mean I lose out on my beloved shot of the Joker doing that weird little skippy thing that he does in the mm -hmm. nurse's outfit. But because this is right before the two blo boats blowing each other up thing, it's hard. I don't like the like really heightened stakes twice in a row, like it's too much in one act. And so that's just the blow up a hospital thing is just like a transition to move us into the next act. And it gets kind of lost in it. I, I agree, Andrew. I th you know what, though? I... I almost would have taken, now that I'm thinking about it, the boats, like, I think you need, again, it's like, it's a scene you need, it's a sequence you need, mm -hmm. but I'm less interested in it because what I'm interested in is, like, these huge, iconic characters. Like, when you get too micro with these movies is when I'm usually, like, kind of uh, uh, pulling out a little bit because I'm like, that's not, like, the idea that Snyder has, like, I'm here to watch God's battle I kind of like that. It's just that I so rarely get to see the gods actually battle. Like it's so, it, they always wait till the end, and then it's like two minutes. Uh, but like that's like what I like about the hospital stuff is that you get to see Two Face and Joker have their scene, and that's a pretty big scene to me. Uh, yeah. And like so, like but with the like, it's great that you have Tiny Lister doing this. Uh, I, I I really loved that. But like I generally like the. The people of Gotham are good. I'm like, I don't really care about the people of Gotham. I'll be honest. I don't care. Like, I, I was going to say that. The only reason I didn't is because I'm like, oh, we kind of need it. Yeah. Um, so uh, this one this one is hard for me because, like I said, I am not a big superhero historian. And it's it's I know Steve is the comic <laughs> book. Uh, when he was talking about having Mike Myers play, I think it was the ventriloquist, which I think uh, yeah. would, would actually fucking, that would fucking work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you could have Nolan bring, and I put superhero or another like comic or graphic novel or even novel ex adaptation to the screen, if, basically Nolan ad adapting more existing IP to the screen, what might it be for you? You know, I, I'm not sure he's like the worst person. Although... Mm. He is the worst person because of uh, his history. Like he's not great at uh, female characters, but maybe this is a challenge that would actually have made it better for him. Like made that a challenge for him. He could have done Why the Last Man, I think, and made it pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, he likes. He doesn't like weak characters. Is kind of an issue with him, at least not on the outside. He likes characters that have a built up. Armor, yeah. Armor, a character they've created outside themselves. Even Oppenheimer has it with the hat and all that, and the pipe and everything like that. Um, but, like, that is a world that I would think would at least give him some, like, new things to play with. And I mean, I, I think he's perfectly suited for this. I'm not sure if there is anything that is as... Um, there was another, uh, God, years ago, some called Powers, but they that was pretty good about... Uh, superhero um policemen like people who have to like manage it that would have maybe also been good but like to me why are the last you referring man to the mystery men 
no, no, no. <laughs> Jesus no. Christ. Um, it, I think it's called Powers. Possibly, I think they mm-hmm. tried to adapt it a couple times, but like to me, he is uh, very specifically suited to Batman, and like mm-hmm. his interests are suited to Batman. Uh, and like I, you know, what I would like to see him is just to him try new things, but I, I'm not sure if he's ready for that yet. So I would say the one, uh, I agree, he is very suited to Batman. I don't think he's like a superhero guy. I think, and and I think that's why Batman works because Batman is theoretically ground in reality. Um, there, that said, one of my like favorite 90s movies that is, you know, uh, it, it is that comic book style. Um, I think I could see Nolan doing decent things with the remake of The Crow. Um, oh, yeah. I, I love that first movie. Um, one of the best soundtracks as well. Like, you know, that's pretty much the only thing that Batman Forever had going for it as well was the soundtrack. Like, God, the, oh, the yeah. movie soundtrack, Glory Days. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think something that has a little bit, I mean, the one thing about Batman, especially in these ones, he doesn't really fight. And no. um, and yet, like, Nolan's so good with big action, but like we saw in, in Inception, which I think is was a movie that kind of got overrated and now is almost like underrated in a weird way but like the man can shoot a fight scene yeah and and so i i would i think if any superhero movie i would say bring back the crow i think we could do a totally new spin on the crow that i think would probably work i'm not i wonder how he works because there's such an emo vibe with it i mean i guess there is there is the batman though yeah 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 yeah. that's yeah the batman is very emo so yeah maybe that might actually work uh huh. All right. So, um, beyond, and I'm considering core. Uh, I think. Wait. Sorry. I think I might have. Oh no! I asked a similar question, so I think I know what the answer is going to be. So beyond ba- Bale Eckhart Ledger, who is your secondary or supporting cast MVP? I think we both know the answer from both of us. I mean, it's definitely Oldman, but I also like. Um, I'm gonna forget his name. The guy who plays the Russian gangster, who is. With the dogs all the time. I do um, not know that guy's name. I I, I yeah. really like him. I, I he's been in a lot of stuff. He, I, I think it's like Martin Sakas or something like that. Um, he's a, he's the villain in Black Hat, which is mm-hmm. me and Eric Siska uh, are uh, our favorite movie. Um, so I, I have a soft spot in my heart for him, but I, it has to be Oldman. Yeah, it has to be Ullman. And then I will say, I don't think he's even in this movie enough to be considered uh, to be considered secondary cast. But I actually, again, as much as I ironically love Eric Roberts, I unironically love him in this movie. Wow. I think he's fantastic. Also, for what it's worth, that gangster is not Russian. He is Chechen. But, Chechen, um, Yes. Uh, but, and I will add that I think Maggie Gyllenhaal uh, is uh, a very bright spot in the movie. The, you know, Maybe also a better facet of this movie versus Batman Begins is Rachel was in Batman Begins way too much. She is in this movie just enough. Love that for her. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So let's say fuck it. 152 minutes, not enough. You want to bloat the movie more. Is there a character you'd like to add or another villain you'd like to add into things? Bonus points if you have a casting casting idea. I mean, the the I mean, if you were going to make this much longer. I guess like the the thing like there was always the rumor. I don't know if they actually ever said there was a um, a deal on the table for this or not, but there was always the talk that Philip Seymour Hoffman was going to play the Penguin. Yes, um, and that would have been if you could have weaved uh, Oswald Cobblepot into this as like, I mean, 
they do this a little bit in Dark Knight Rises, the Ben Mendelsohn character of like a financial interest who is trying to take over the Wayne Enterprises uh, and move in on it. If Cobblepot had done that in this movie and he was dealing with that as well as this other issue, I could see it being like if you really went for epic four hour length once 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 upon a time in Gotham City uh, kind of level, then I, I would have loved to see that. I would be really interested to see how Nolan in doing like his very, you know, Michael Mann grounded style feels weird to say Michael Mann and grounded in the same (laughs) sentence, but um, would do Oswald Cobblepot, Um, you know, loyal listeners, um, all all four loyal listeners of the show will know that I um, my origin story is that I was obsessed with Danny DeVito as a child, Um, you know, because of the penguin. I my brother sat me down and we watched Batman Returns when I was four years old and I became obsessed with Danny DeVito and then became a five year old who watched Taxi Um, and it explains everything about me, but like he's so disgusting in yes. that role and everything Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman does had this or did had this wonderful, like very, very uh, distinguished air about him, especially later in his career post Capote. I would, I think, oh, yeah. um, God, I wonder how you could do, I have, I have a morbid curiosity about how you would have done Oswald Cobblepot in this universe. I mean, it, I don't know if he's going to do a nose, but that's maybe the most he would accept is a nose. And I, I there's a it, lot of dis- justified discourse around prosthetic noses these days. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we're we're also we're all getting ready for Maestro. Um, yeah. We'll see. I don't know about yeah. that. Mm. Um, all right. So, uh, favorite shot in the movie. Favorite shot in the movie. I, you know, I really like. There is a uh, either a, I, I assume it's a helicopter mm-hmm. of. It, the whole city looks blue, uh, mm-hmm. the entire, and like Batman's on a ledge. And I really do. I like iconography. Like when it comes to these kinds of movies, I do tend to be like, I like big looking guy. And like, I also just, when the trailer, uh, when the big truck goes up uh, horizontal with all oh. the things, that is pretty amazing. <laughs> It is. It's a big, like, deep breath moment. Um, I love that. My single favorite shot is after the Joker has hijacked that police car and you just see his reflection in the side view mirror. And he is like a dog with his head out the window. And it's, you know, it's such a wonderful insight into his psyche without giving any insight at all and it's everything about the joker summed up it also makes me think of that one fake shoot fake shot that everyone circulates every couple years of him with the poorly uh superimposed skateboard and saying this was heath ledger between takes i don't know if you've ever seen that no i haven't oh jesus christ every fucking couple years on twitter someone would post um it was i think it was the shot of the joker jumping over a corpse and kind of doing a little skipperoo someone like badly quite badly i think superimposed a skateboard into it and purported it to be oh it was heath ledger skateboarding around between takes in his joker makeup and people fucking believed it That's um, insane. yeah but no I, I love that shot of the joker um all right favorite one-liner in the movie um oh god because it's not really a one um it's more of a response like ah, let me think yeah. like I, I guess what i'm not wearing hockey pants or hockey pads <laughs> okay it's pretty my hard. husband and i have had like an ongoing thing for 10 years is it pads or pants it's one of them and like that is pretty great but though mm-hmm. my favorite thing in the whole thing is uh when michael i think it's michael jai white as gamble is telling you think you can walk in here and do all this and like take over thing and she says yeah yes <laughs> like that's i thought i'm like i'm like that's perfect that's exactly the joker 
you you've already you sold me without I, I that's like the second thing he says and you I'm sold completely on this character yeah it's it's hard to not just default to something from the Joker uh, because uh, yeah. and I will say you and I are both uh, we are both writers by profession and so if you're good at something never do it for free also as a dance teacher holy shit if you're good at something never do it for free yeah. um, but um, there are a lot of um, Batman quotes and that Jared and I will quote to each other quite frequently because they're inherently funny uh, because of the voice. Like sometimes uh, I, I hate fireworks as a as a dog owner. I have a feeling you're not a fan either. But um, it, I, I, mine don't uh, my, my dogs. I'm, I'm very lucky. They are they don't get freaked out by uh, thunder and lightning or fireworks somehow. I lucked out. Oh, nice. Uh, but I do tend to yell, there won't be any fireworks, any <laughs> any, any long weekend. Um, but I, uh, I think everything Aaron Eckhart says in this movie is intentionally a cliche. Um, but the, the one Batman line that doesn't make me kind of cringe, and I think the Batman lines and the Harvey Dent lines are supposed to make you cringe, is I'm not who I am underneath, but what I... Like I'm it's it's not who I am underneath, because to me, I think there's a tragedy of that line because it's like, no, actually, you are who you are underneath. And I think that's something that we as the audience are supposed to know yeah. um, that like, you know, which is why Rachel tells him, like, you will never not need Batman. And yeah. that a lot of the Christian Bale Batman, I think, is about how Bruce Wayne is in total denial. So, yeah. Uh, so to conclude, oh, wait, I have number 10. Number 10. What is your Personal top three Nolan movies. Oh well, it's probably it's probably Oppenheimer, Memento, Tenet is probably the top three. For me, I would say this is uh, actually this and uh, the Prestige kind of go back at share number two and three, and Tenet number one for me. Um, so to conclude our thoughts on the dark Knight, the main thing, you know, we talk about things that have aged well and things that have not aged well. So let's say you're watching this somehow for the first time in 2023. Uh, what aspects of this movie do you think have and haven't aged well? And not just like socially, like, Oh, you couldn't make this a day, but like in terms of the style and the storytelling. I mean, the style I think is what has aged well. We're, we're, mm -hmm. I, I kind of took this for granted at the time because it was just, uh, a, a, a what I knew Nolan for was style. That was it. Mm -hmm. I didn't really get much heat from him. Um, so I think, and now since so many things are like just digitally, uh, every everything's digital. So like mm -hmm. you don't really get a sense of place anymore. This has a very purposeful sense of place. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it's using a bunch of different cities to make Gotham City, even so it gives you a sense of being in a world. Uh, and I really love that, and I think that's a lot of movies just don't have that anymore. What has not aged well, of course, is, the C is Two Faces CGI stuff. Not great. Um, and I think, I mean, I think he has a much better editor now, and I think that's he doesn't know when to hold on things very well because he is all about efficiency to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the last three movies he's done have kind of moved him out of that realm he's getting a little sloppier he doesn't mind smearing a little bit he doesn't mind taking his time with a few things which i, I really do appreciate um but what the, the the fact that all of like he really does excuse a lot of like it's a little on the nose the surveillance stuff is a little on the nose uh i get why it works uh and why it doesn't work for other people and i 
I go back and forth on it. But like all that stuff just felt like not of the Gotham world, just more of the like reflective surface to like be like, this is modern. You understand? Like, yeah, kind of shouting it. So I essentially agree with everything you said. I think especially like the art direction of it all is probably the element that aged well because I don't think of modern superhero movies as having a sense of art direction anyway. No. Like at, at whatsoever. It's it's not even it's bad art direction. There is none. There is none. I'm sure there are people under that staff. Um, yeah. But but by the way, I'm not downplaying the valuable work that they do. Pay your fucking writers. Pay, you know, Four. support the people who are on strike right now. Um, but I would also say, and then also visually, because so many movies, like, I mean, I, I don't go to the theater very often. We have two screens at the theater in my hometown. Still independent, though, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, movies today are so fucking dark. Yeah. And I really appreciate how much you can see everything that's fucking happening yep. in this movie. I love that visually. I think it is a great movie. Where I think, I think this both does and doesn't age well depending on how you look at it. There is no moralizing in this movie. You know, like you talk about the surveillance, the Patriot Act stuff. Um, I like that there's no moralizing on it. However, I do think modern audiences are a lot more discerning. And I think, unfortunately, there is the expectation that it would take some sort of stronger moral stance against it. And, you know, it doesn't make Oppenheimer any less good, but we've seen the way people are, I hate to say, is kind of filling their diapers over the fact (laughs) that the movie didn't come out with a big red blinking sign saying he did a bad, bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, that is annoying as hell because... I think he's pretty obvious about it in Oppenheimer more than he is in these movies, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it it is insane to me because well, I mean, like, I mean, this is a very uh, a talked about thing. Movies have to be everything for everyone now. They cannot yep. be from a perspective. They cannot handle two thirds of the story of something or be boiling something down to the elemental thing of it. You have to represent every kind of experience of life through it uh and if you don't you are somehow less of an artist you are somehow less of a uh, i would say more less of a a social thinker like they don't just they don't trust your belief anymore well when people say things and now i'm on an oppenheimer tangent but who gives a fuck um it's it's friday it's tangent friday um (laughs) but uh you know people saying well why did the movie why couldn't the movie be from the perspective of the people he murdered or whatever like movie's been made because we love we love uh, stories about villain protagonists. That's why we call it a protagonist and not a hero. I learned that in fucking middle school. Yeah. Like that's th- that's the whole thing. And also th- for in the same respect, that's why this movie is so much more interesting when you look at it, like when the Joker is at the center of it because no one gives a shit about Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Bruce Wayne. Um, you know, and even to bring it back to cliche, but Lord of the Flies, we are not supposed, like they, the main characters are the bad guys in that sense. Like that's, and that is why it is so often used as a classic literary example of like of something being sent the protagonist not being sympathetic and not being good um mind you they are young boy but it's you know it's about corruptibility and stuff and so i i do think that that to me has aged well but it's aged well for me has it aged well for movie audiences probably not i i guess i'm just not like other movie watchers (laughs) fuck fuck me i'm a 19 year old film bro um all right so chris thank you for being with us here on the 10th and final episode of tales from the rec room 2023 if you want to get once again plug where we can find we hate movies uh and uh listen to your thoughts now's the time uh you're gonna want to go to uh patreon.com slash we hate movies we have uh uh we've been doing this for quite a long time now and we have a bunch of stuff uh 
we love movies uh, where we do big iconic movies. We will do The Dark Knight at some point on there, I'm sure. Amen. Uh, and <laughs> we uh, do start, as I said, Star Trek and Star Wars shows. It's just a great time. Uh, I love The Nexus. The Nexus is like mine and my husband's happy place. We, we love doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're uh, coming close to the end of TOS on there. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, we do a weekly show that you can get on wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we hate movies. Uh, WHMpodcast.com. If you want to look, we're going to be playing White Eagle Hall in Jersey City on December 7th, I want to say. Um, and we're going to be doing the Santa Claus. Uh, so if you want to come out, if you're uh, around there for that, that'd be great. Uh, but yeah, uh, on social, I'm at Crabbin. WHM Podcast. You can look us up on Twitter or on Blue Sky. I believe we are on that, too. Um, yeah, and we are also on Instagram. Uh, I'm not sure why, but we are there. Um, we're not because I, no one's on Twitter anymore. I guess, yeah. We're yeah. but I, I, I'm a little just because we're not selling like uh, supplements or anything like that. I feel like we <laughs> maybe should not be on there. But hey, we're there That's too. All good. All right. Well, as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde. You can find me on Blue Sky at Prune Tracy or follow this podcast at Rec Room Tales on both Twitter and Blue Sky. This is the last episode of Tales from the Rec Room for the summer as uh, the dance season is now upon us. So I'm busy, but we will be back for the occasional holiday episode. And of course, next summer. In the meantime, take a look at our back catalog for more on movies, music, TV shows, directors, books, and more. Take it easy and thank you for listening. <laughs>